right. Well, that's good. That's good. Thankful for our young people. Truly am. I put our young people up. I think anybody in the world, I truly, I truly wouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed to do that. I appreciate our, our young ladies and our young fellows. And uh, folks, you hold them up before the Lord in your prayers. Um, I was talking to my wife and, you know, we see so many walk away from Christianity and uh, it's heartbreaking. It's hard. Folks, don't, don't focus on that. Focus on the ones who stay faithful and uh, encourage those. Um, I will say this, and this is totally off the subject. I intend to speak on it if the Lord gives me the freedom and liberty to do so in several weeks or in the next couple months. But uh, be very careful about putting your kids in a place where they can't fail. Um, I think sometimes we as Christians, we... This is totally off the cuff, so i got to make sure I behave myself. Don't put your kids on an idol, or as an idol, on an altar. Sacrifice them to the Lord. Amen? I mean, you give them to God. But don't put them on a place where they can't fail or fall. Um, Christian kids, <laughs> they're kids. <laughs> they are going to make mistakes. They are going to have problems. And let me say this. Yes, your children. Okay, I mean, I know that your kids are perfect, and, and everybody else's are the ones, you know, I mean, amen? You know, my, my kid wasn't involved. No, your kid was the problem, amen? Your kid was the, the focal point. He's the one who started. I mean, and realize that, and don't, don't, it's okay, right? It's okay to admit your children have problems. They do. They're your child, okay? It's just, I know this, all right? I know this to be a fact. I, I was brought up in my father's home. But folks, let, let me say this, in, in Christianity, we've we got to be real careful, because sometimes we, we make so big a deal, and we, we need to, don't misunderstand, we, we need to make such a big deal out of serving God, but we build them up to be this perfect little person, and they're not. They're a little person who, who is experiencing life for the very first time, and they have feelings, they have lusts that strike them. Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Do you know why? Because Timothy was a young man who was going to deal with it. I mean, it just wasn't like, oh my, you know, I'm a Christian. Those things don't bother me. Let's wake up. And let's realize, and I beg you folks, I mean, I think our Christian kids, I really do, I believe our Christian kids are as fine of Christian young people as any in the world. But don't put it to a place where they can't sit down, mom and dad especially, and pastor and assistant pastor where they can sit down and talk to you about their problems. Don't build them to such a level where they think if they fail, they have nowhere to turn. Make sure they know they can always come to you. Don't, don't, don't say that. Do it. Make it happen. Make it real. And, and I was talking to my wife because I see that sometimes in our Christian homes. Our young people get such a pressure on them to feel like they have to fit a mold. I'm not looking for a cookie cutter. All right, Christian, I'm not looking for that type of person. I'm looking for a young person who has a heart for God. And if I can get them a heart for God, they're going to turn out fine. And I beg you to understand that. It's so necessary that we get that concept, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those who are following. And please understand that. All right, grab your Bibles. I'm done with the, uh, the what is it, what do they call that, that little box you stand on? Is it the band box, soap box? Yeah, soap box. I'm done with my soap box sermon. Now we're on to the real thing. Grab your Bibles. Go over to Psalm chapter 69. You'll get that again in a few weeks. If you didn't pay attention, that's fine. I'll give it to you very, very soon. All right. 
um, I want to read a poem one of the fellows wrote and uh, fit in with the message this morning. Uh, Brother Gene Batchelor gave me this. He says, depression. What is the word depression? It's a feeling of being alone, lost, an empty feeling in your gut. It's like a stork with his head in the sand, hoping when he pulls it up, everything will be all right. It's a lazy, slow, empty feeling. It's hoping someone will come and take all, all, uh, take all the pain and hopelessness away. It's sleeping late and hoping when you awake, all your problems will disappear. It's like a slow cancer eating at you and everything you do. There is hope. I hope you find peace and love. Just look to the Lord, and you might find that peace you crave. God bless you. And Brother Gene wrote that and gave that to me and did a fine job. Psalm chapter 69. Let's stand together as we read a portion of the Word of God together. We're going to read one verse from this chapter, and then we're going to jump over to Proverbs 3. So just one book after this. Shouldn't be too far to to get there tonight. Psalm chapter 69, start with verse 9. The Bible says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. Now go to Proverbs chapter 3 with me. Proverbs chapter 3. And Brother Dahl, when I'm done with this, can I have you get to that board again? I, I popped the leg, ah, well, after I pray. I popped the legs down so you don't have to fight with those tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth, Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. I ask that tonight uh, the message that goes forth, Lord, would be understood. I ask that it would be uh, meaningful in the lives of each and every one that's here tonight. Lord, I believe there are some truths that we need to understand as far as our Christianity is concerned. I believe there, uh, Lord, we have to have the right philosophy. If our philosophy is, is flawed, Lord, our actions will as well. And I just ask that tonight we see some things from your words, some principles that we can apply, and Lord, come to a greater understanding of why we do what we do. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Dahl, thank you. Two weeks ago, I um, spoke on this topic, um, and I spoke on zeal and its importance to Christianity. Tonight, I want to, to flip the card, so to speak, and I want to speak on knowledge and its importance as it pertains to zeal. And just so you understand, when I refer to the word knowledge tonight, I'm, I'm lumping, it, it's a very general word, and, and I, I know that, that there are specifics and there are differences, but, but I'm lumping in with it wisdom and understanding and so on and so forth. And so please understand that. And so we'll be using um, Proverbs chapter 3 and Psalm 69 as our text verses. Um, don't want to go into what we spoke about, thank you, Brother Dahl, what we spoke about two weeks ago um, in depth at all because of time tonight. But folks, I talked about the importance of zeal. And in Christianity, can everybody read my writing? Isn't it incredible? You didn't, you didn't know I had the penmanship award in high school, did you? You could never tell. Um, <clears throat> that's not true. I never got that. But I spoke about the importance of zeal. And folks, we have to have a zeal for God. We have to have a zeal for the things of the Lord. Without zeal, um, Christianity turns into just a mere religion. And, and I, don't, I don't want a religion. I don't... I don't want to come in a church, and, and I, think, I think maybe some of you understand this when, we, when you come in. I don't want you to come in a church and sit in a pew and go through the motions. 
And I think sometimes we do that. You know, we, we, we're, we're all, I hate to use this term, but we're like, the Bible calls us sheep so I can get away with that. But we're so used to doing it this way. We walk in, we park in the same spot, we walk to the same pew, we talk to the same people, we do the same thing, we sing the same songs in the same way, we, we, we go through the handshaking time, we go through the next song, we listen to the special, we go through the message, we go through the invitation, and we go home, and we feel as if we've accomplished what we were supposed to do. We forget that in the middle of that, there is supposed to be a passion and a zeal for God that consumes us. And we miss that. We miss that. And, and, and folks, you know, I, we do so many things around here to break up the monotony. You know, we sing a chorus from time to time. We introduced that here uh, a year or two ago. We, 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 I'll step up here from time to time and, and, and I'll have Brother Dahl sing an extra verse. All right, we'll, we'll do things such as last Sunday morning, give testimonies. And a lot of Sunday nights, we'll give testimonies. Why? To, to get people to understand that church is not about the, the function as much as it is about God's people getting together and lifting up their hearts in worship and in praise to God and then coming together and listening to the message that God has brought for this people at this time. And I believe that, and, I, and I, I, it's so necessary that we find a passion there. We shouldn't walk, and I'm not getting after anybody tonight, but we should not walk out of church going, wow, thank God it's over. Yet many of us do. We, we, we are more passionate about who's dan dancing with the stars or uh, American Idol, and we can't wait till next week. But when it comes to church, we're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Seriously. You know, he said he was going to close 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Amen, Jim? That's right. I knew Brother Faulkner. He's with me. But we have to understand, see, this mentality has invaded Christianity. And we have to be so careful because once we lose the zeal, Christianity, our walk with God, becomes just a mere religion. I don't want a religion. I can go to any church in town and find religion. I want a relationship with God that is evident in my life to those that are sitting around me. I want people to know that when God's word is preached, that means more to me than who's on the billboard's top 40. Folks, there are people, and I've, I've talked to them, who will religiously listen to that every week to find out where their favorite artist is at. Who gives a flip? But we are more interested and more entertained and more passionate about that than about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are so caught up in the things and the affairs of this life that we have lost our zeal for God. I do not think that when David went to church, he sat there as a church mouse. I think when you read the Psalms, I think you see a man who had a great passion, a great drive for God. And folks, I know tonight some of this falls on deaf ears because we're from the Midwest, amen? I mean, we're Wisconsiners or Iwegians. I mean, we don't, we don't do things like that. We don't express ourselves ever, right? You know, we're stoic. But folks, I think that we're full of baloney, <laughs> Because I've seen us at basketball games, and I've seen us when we're arguing about our favorite teams or about who got the biggest buck. Amen, Brother Hager? Deer season opens in a couple weeks in Iowa. When does it open in Iowa? December 5th? 
Is that right, Justin? You ready? Yeah. I mean, we'll argue about those things. No, 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 no. I mean, you should. And, 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 and that's, that's all good and well, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm trying to get us to understand tonight is we have to get a zeal and a passion back for the things of God. There has to be that there because if that's not, all we have is just a meeting time a couple times a week. I don't want a meeting time a couple times a week. I want something that when I come, my heart is touched, my mind is challenged, and I walk out desiring to serve God more. I got one amen. We're on fire tonight. Folks, see, the problem is we don't understand this. We've turned church into a house of death rather than a house of life. I preached a sermon a couple years ago, and I may preach it again sometime in the, future, in the near future. But it's on the autopsy of a dead church. Do you, do you know that's what we do? Seriously. I mean, we, 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 we have forgotten, and I spoke about it this morning, but God's people are supposed to be full of life, exuberance, joy, happiness. And yet so many times when it comes to the things of God, we treat it as a formality. And that is sad to me. And so I would beg you, and we talked about this two weeks ago, about the necessity of zeal in our Christian lives. Tonight I want to look at the importance of knowledge. I think some people got the impression two weeks ago that I was against knowledge. I'm not. I said it about 47 times in the sermon. I listened to the tape to make sure I had said that. And I said it a lot. But I think some people got the impression that, that zeal is, is the only thing we need to have. You don't just have zeal. With your zeal, you have knowledge. Now, the, the, the deal is, and, and, and brother, I'm going to switch microphones on you here. I'm dying. As far as our Christian lives are concerned, as far as any life is concerned, we really, we start out with zeal. We do. I mean, you, you, watch, you watch a child. A child has zeal. They don't have a lot of knowledge. Seriously. All right? I mean, have you ever watched your children as infants walk up to a toilet seat and touch it? It's like, kid, what are you doing? <laughs> Stay away from that. I remember taking my daughter, and, and I, was, I, I had my, my kids with me that day, and I had to go use the restroom, and I took them into a public restroom, and they, there was a urinal there. And I kept having to beat my daughter away from the urinal, saying, don't touch that. That's disgusting. That's gross, kid. They have no knowledge. They have a lot of zeal, man. I mean, they're ready to tackle anything and everything, but they have no knowledge. A lot of zeal, but no knowledge. That's why they cry when they can't have the toy. They have a lot of zeal, man. They want it bad, but they have no knowledge. As life progresses, Lord willing, we gain some knowledge. And again, I'm lumping wisdom and understanding and all those things that pertain into this one word tonight. And I know that there are some differences, but I don't want to get into the differences between knowledge and wisdom and understanding tonight. But we start out here as a person. We start out with a lot of zeal and no knowledge. And as life progresses, many times we go through this progression. We have much zeal, some knowledge, some zeal, much knowledge, no zeal, all knowledge. And life tends to generally move in that type of direction, not exclusively 
exclusively, but generally speaking tonight. And as a Christian, I really feel that we go through very similar circumstances. When we first get born again, we really have no idea what Christianity is. We just know we're born again. And really, it's extremely, extremely exciting. It's a wonderful thing. It's the most wonderful decision we've ever made. We're a child of God. I mean, we have a home in heaven. We've got a ticket to paradise. And we're so excited about that, we don't have any knowledge, though. We really don't even know how to tell somebody else what we did, but we are sure excited about it. And as the Christian life progresses, we go from all zeal and no knowledge, and we go through the progressions again. And what I'm trying to get you to do tonight is understand that at the end of this, we don't really want to deal with this right here. At the end of our Christian maturity, we want to have great zeal and we want to have great knowledge. And that's what I want to look at tonight as we discuss this topic one more time. Number one, take your Bibles to Romans 10. We're going to use our Bibles a little bit tonight, so keep them handy. Romans chapter 10. Verse number one, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, for many of us that have been in this room for any length of time, a fairly easy passage to understand. We know that righteousness is not of man, it's not of works. Righteousness is of God, right? Let's try it again. Righteousness is of God. All right, now you know. If you didn't, now you do. We know that. What we find here is there were a group of Israelites or Jews who were very zealous for the name of God, but without a knowledge of how to truly be saved. And the Apostle Paul was one of these people. Up until the Lord visited him, he was very zealous for God, but he <laughs> really was making a mess of things. He was persecuting the actual children of God. And then God, of course, appeared to him on the way to Damascus. He, he, he received Christ as his Savior, had his whole life transformed. Wonderful story. I want to say first and foremost tonight, number one, knowledge gives zeal direction. Knowledge gives zeal direction. This is important. See, zeal, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, zeal will run through a brick wall. It's not advisable. Amen? There are easier ways of doing things than running through a brick wall. Knowledge says, I'll walk through the open door two feet to the left. See that, but, but that's what knowledge does. Knowledge says, let's take our zeal. Don't diminish our zeal, but let's add knowledge to it and let's understand how, to, let's give it a direction. And this sometimes is a real problem in Christianity because, see, we want to, this is where you get your charismatic crowd. They want to be very zealous and they, they push zeal to such an extent they have no direction. And so all there is is, is, is everything in every way is okay. You can't do that. All right, you have to have a direction to it. You have to add knowledge to your zeal. Secondly, let's move on. I've got a good bit to cover tonight, and I want to get to all of it. Secondly, knowledge gives zeal focus. Now, focus and direction are a little bit different. See, direction is a general, 
direction. Amen? It's a general way. It's a terrible way to describe it, but it's the best I got. But focus tends to take it and say, okay, yes, you're heading in the right direction, but let me help you focus it properly. Let, let, me, let me give you an illustration. As a church family, that's what we are tonight, if, if you're willing to be, you are. Some people don't want to be a part of a church family. I don't understand that. It's a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful pleasure to walk with God's people through this life. But as a church family, we have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. I, I, re, I, I can't tell you how many publications, how many letters, how many notes I receive in a week from good organizations that are doing a lot of help to a lot of people. But to be perfectly honest, folks, we cannot be a part of everything. And sometimes zeal is guilty of saying, I want to do it all, <laughs> but you can't. I mean, I'm glad you want to do it all, but you have to understand, you have to focus <laughs> your zeal in a specific direction, not just go in a general area. Well, I want to serve God. I understand that. But we need to focus it down to some things that you need to do. A lot of times people will ask, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? And they want this huge answer. And I'll say, be in church, read your Bible, and pray. And they'll look at me, and they're somewhat offended because they say, well, that's too simple. No, that's focusing it. It's putting it very specifically and saying, you do this, and God will use you in a much greater way if you allow your zeal to be focused. Very necessary that we understand this. You see, that's why we find in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says let everything be done decently and in order. We need to focus. Folks, there are some things, there are good organizations and good programs. I, we just, as a church body, we cannot be a part of them. We just can't. You say, why not? Because, folks, we only have the ability to do so much. Understand. Understand your capabilities and your limits. Now, folks, don't misunderstand me. We have a God that can do anything. But sometimes if we allow zeal to run roughshod, we find ourselves in over our head. <laughs> you say, um, which way is up? And the guy standing next to you says, I have no idea. I ran in with you. That's not what you want. All right? So zeal gives focus to our direction. It helps to narrow it down and to zero it down. There are some ministries that our church has. We have tried to focus on those ministries rather than have 10,000 different ones. And as God gives us the ability and gives us the manpower, we add ministries to the local church to reach into our community. But folks, let me say this. See, as far as the Bible is concerned, there is no greater ministry than the ones that are directly explained in the Word of God. See, there is no greater ministry than going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, folks, we have a, a lot of different areas in our church where we do things that suit that purpose. But I'll tell you this, we'll cut out certain programs before we ever, 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 ever think about cutting out our soul winning visitation program. Why? Because that one's directly outlined in the Bible. And so understand, see, we have to have a focus, and that's what knowledge does. Knowledge gives zeal focus. And it, it, let me say this, it also keeps zeal from hopping from thing to thing. Um, zeal is great. 
okay? But zeal has a very short attention span. Um, zeal will get excited about something and get into something and then get bored with something and then quit something. That's what zeal has a tendency to do. And they didn't necessarily lose their zeal, they just transferred it from one thing to the other. You've met people like this. They're gung-ho for about a month, and then you wonder, where did so-and-so go? Well, they, add, they forgot to add knowledge. They didn't have that focus. And very necessary that we get that. Very necessary that we have that. Number three tonight. Take your Bibles with me. Take your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I want to give you a verse on this point we just talked about. Knowledge gives zeal focus. Mark chapter number 10. I love the disciples. They were really a bunch of great guys, these apostles. Fantastically blessed in the sense that they walked with Jesus Christ for three years. But fantastically zealous for God. I mean, to the best of our knowledge, every one of them died a martyr's death, save the Apostle John. And again, they tried to kill him, and they just couldn't. All right? I mean, that's really something incredible. But that, that's, that's, these guys had a zeal that just ate them up, man. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't say, take no for an answer. I mean, they just proclaimed the gospel until somebody took their life and sent them home to be with Jesus Christ. That's an incredible, incredible story. And I love these guys, but we find that in their walk with Christ during his earthly ministry, they struggled with a focus, all right? They had a general direction. They knew they were following the Messiah, the anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But from time to time, they would lose focus. And here in Mark chapter 10, we find one of those times. Verse 35 of Mark 10, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came on him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. The next several verses tell us what they wanted. They wanted to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus, all right? They wanted to be numero uno as far as they were concerned. Down in verse number 41, the Bible says, And when the ten heard it, that's the rest of the apostles, it says they began to be much displeased with James and John. James and John said, We'd like to be first. And the other ten guys heard it and said, Who do you think you are? We're supposed to be first. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus did, see folks, they were already following Jesus. I can kind of picture this. Jesus is out walking ahead of them. And here is the group of ten behind. James and John had kind of snuck away from the pack and ran up to Jesus as he's walking. And they said, we would like a personal favor from you, Lord. And he said, what is it? They explain it to him. And he tells them, guys, that's not my position to do that. That's God the Father's. The other ten hear about it, and they are very, very displeased, very unhappy. They say, you little weasels. I mean, who gives you the right to go up to Jesus and ask that? You have no right to do it because that's our place. We should be up there. And they start arguing and fighting with one another. And Jesus stops, and he says, guys, what are you arguing about? And, and, and they're like the rest of us. They just stood there and looked stupid. Nothing. And Jesus said, boys, let me tell you something. He said, in my kingdom, it's not like this earth. See, in this earth, the greatest ones rule. But in my kingdom, the greatest ones are servants. And if you want to be great, serve. If you want to be great, minister unto. Don't expect to be ministered to. 
See, what he did was he said, fellas, you're following me, but let me help you focus in a little better. You have a wrong concept. You see, a lot of new Christians, they get saved, and you know what they automatically want to do? They want to be the next pastor. <laughs> they do. That's good. That's okay. That's all right. I like that zeal. Brother Dahl, have you ever dealt with that? They want to run the school. They're going to tell you how to run the school. Well, well I, I, I've been saved all of six minutes. Let me tell you how to do it. And they have this zeal, and we love the zeal. But there needs to be a focus that helps it and that we get from knowledge. Thirdly, knowledge should help keep or help zeal keep things in perspective. Take your Bibles to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 19. See, there's a problem with all zeal and no knowledge. The problem with it is is that all zeal tends to lose sight of the big picture and gets discouraged. Jeremiah chapter, I think I gave you a wrong chapter here. Chapter 20, forgive me. Chapter 20. In verse number 9, Jeremiah says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. Can somebody tell me, Jeremiah, we know him as the, the weeping prophet. Do you know what tears are a sign of? Zeal, passion. If you don't care about something, you don't shed tears about it. For real. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't bother you. If something happens in your life that you don't care about and doesn't mean anything to you and it's destroyed and it's wrecked and it's ruined, you have the ability to walk away from it not caring. But Jeremiah cared greatly about the people of his native land. He cared greatly about them and he loved them and he did not want to see them destroyed and he cared for them so deeply and had such a passion and a zeal for it, it just tore him to pieces. And he came to a place in his Christian life where he said, I am done. I am sick and tired of going out there and being mocked and being defamed and being, I mean, just absolutely made a fool of. My own village men, my own countrymen are out to hurt me. They're out to make a mockery of me. They're out to hurt, destroy my testimony. He said, I quit. I'm done. But in this verse, and we just read just one verse, he says, I can't do that. He said, something inside of me is just tearing me to shreds. It's just eating me up. That was the knowledge that said, Jeremiah, look at the big picture. You were called from your mother's womb. You see, the zeal had not gone anywhere. It was still there. But he tried to bury it. He tried to say, no, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Anybody ever felt that way about the Christian life? It's too hard to come to church. It's too hard to stay married. It's too hard to raise my kids for God. It's just too difficult. I quit. I'm done. I'm through with it. Anybody ever had that? I have. I've had that conversation a lot of times. I go home some days and I say, I'm done. I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. It's too much. The stress is too great. I just can't handle it. But the knowledge that I have added to my zeal does not allow that to take place. And so what happens is in my heart, a stirring begins to take place. 
And it starts to rise up inside of me and I cannot hold it back and I cannot keep it quiet and I cannot keep it down because I have a knowledge, not just, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge of what God means to me. And I see the big picture of what God is trying to do. You see, it keeps us from discouragement. And let me say this, knowledge will keep your zeal doing right even after you feel your zeal has been exhausted. Do you, do you know there's sometimes you feel like you just can't take another step? People, you with me? Nod your heads, do something. I'm not hearing a word. And you feel like you should just pack in the whole gamut. Take your Bibles, take your commentaries, take everything, your prayer books, put them in a duffel bag, hide them underneath the bed and just say, fooey with it, I'm done. But knowledge says you can't do that. You see, you are a part of the big picture. And without you doing your job, you're going to hurt the cause of Christ and you know better than that. So get out there and do what you're supposed to do. And Jeremiah did that. And he went out and he preached and he prophesied and he did what he had been called to do. And yes, Jeremiah had to deal with the same problems as before. He had to go through the same hardships, but he went out with a, with a renewed passion for Christ. Why? Because he had the knowledge to keep his passion and his zeal alive. Knowledge helps zeal keep things in perspective. Number four. Take your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, it says, But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Knowledge, true knowledge, should bring a boldness to zeal. Zeal has a tendency to get itself in situations where it really shouldn't be. Knowledge will bring a boldness that you know you're where you're supposed to be. You see, Jesus told his followers, he said, you will be brought in front of kings and rulers for my sake. But when he said, when the time comes, do not worry because my Holy Spirit will speak for you. He gave them a knowledge. He said, there's going to be something that takes place. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to say what needs to be said in a way it needs to happen. And, and folks, let me help you to understand this tonight. You see, this is, this is so necessary because we have to understand that we need that boldness behind our zeal. Sometimes zeal says, this is right. And somebody says, why? I don't know. <laughs> somebody said it. You know, that's what the pastor told me to do. That's, that's just how we're supposed to act. Okay, that's good and well for a very short time. But you need a knowledge to back that up. And that knowledge, hey, hey, why, 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 do you, why do you believe that homosexuality is wrong? Why do you say that? Well, let me tell you why. There's a little story in the Bible about Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, yeah, you, you have a point. 
many other passages that you could take them to. But why, why, why do you believe it's wrong to live together before you're married and, 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 and have a, a, a physical relationship with the opposite sex? Why do you believe that? I mean, that's kind of old-fashioned, right? I mean, that's just the way our society used to be. No, let me tell you why. I'll show you. I'll show you not only biblically that it's wrong, but I'll show you what it causes. You'll find that in the Bible as well. Folks, fornication and adultery will destroy you. We know this because we've been told this, but do we truly have a knowledge that gives our zeal that boldness? And we need this so badly because in, in our workplaces, in, if we just got done with Thanksgiving, there were a lot of you that had family and friends over, and you got into some discussions, and you were afraid to say anything unless they ask you why. Why? why? Okay, okay, you say that's wrong. Why do you believe that? Well, well, I know the Bible says it somewhere. That doesn't cut the mustard. You need to know where the Bible says it. You need to know some illustrations biblically on why and how it's wrong. And folks, there's a knowledge that we have allowed to, to, to seep away from us. And we said, well, I believe this. Okay, but why do you believe it? Because if you don't have the knowledge, that boldness to believe it is going to fade. It's going to diminish as time goes on. Because you're going to find yourself kind of chasing, chasing butterflies. Well, I think I believe this, or I think I believe... What happens with people who have a lot of knowledge or a lot of zeal is they end up getting caught up in every new movement that comes down the pike. Every new Christian book, they get. I, I, somebody was telling me about this Christian book where, where, where God is likened to this, this black woman, and, and she, it just, just really, and you, you want to say, oh, no, 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 no. God is, God is, God is a spirit. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You can't do that. And if God takes on a human form, he takes on the form of Jesus Christ. That's, he's Jewish, amen? I would imagine, I don't know, he's God. Some people say he was an Indian. Adam means ruddy or red. I don't know. But folks, I want you to understand, see, that we, we, we get caught, if you have zeal, you don't have the boldness to back it up. You get caught up with all these new ways and all these new things and we... We've seen it happen time and time again and understand how necessary it is. And here in Proverbs, we see a couple verses that tell us when we get that knowledge and add it to our zeal, we have the ability to see our path shining more and more onto the perfect day. When we have that knowledge, you say, I know exactly what the right path is. I'm walking on it. I know exactly why it's the right path because I've learned and I've watched and I have studied and I can promise you this is it. But the way of the wicked is as darkness and they don't know at what they stumble. See, the people that are wandering about in the foolishness and the wickedness of this world, they have no idea where they're going. And they, they, they have some zeal, but they have no knowledge. I mean, folks, let's be honest. People have been moving in with one another big time. It's been accepted for about the last 35 years. Has it worked? Do you know, literally, the world tells us statistically that if you move in and shack up before you get married, your chances of divorce are higher than if you never did. The world says that. God's been saying that since eternity past. But understand, I mean, folks, even the world admits this philosophy of trying it out together before we're married 
even the world said, guys, it's a failure. We were wrong. But folks, we don't have any knowledge. And because we have very little knowledge, we do not have the boldness that is to accompany our zeal. This book, it's the right path. It is. The problem is, folks, we don't know what's in the book. We know it has black covers, front and back, amen? But what's in the book is where we fall short. And because we don't know that, we lack a boldness that says, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I have a light. I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. I know it from my own personal testimony, but I also know it because the Bible says so. We've got to have that. Point number five, and we'll close with this tonight. Knowledge without the power of zeal will die. Zeal without knowledge is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past again and again. Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We'll close with this passage and a few other things, Jim. Acts chapter 5, verse 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up a Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. And this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many, obeyed him and were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Now, folks, what happens here is that knowledge without the power of zeal dies. It becomes a religion. We've already said that. But zeal without knowledge is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past again and again and again. We all know that the apostles did not repeat the mistakes of these two men mentioned in Acts chapter number 5. Do you know why? Because their foundation was Christ. These other men had some other foundation. They had a passion. And you study these. There, there, there were some great men in history here who rose up against the authorities and did some great damage to them. And they, they were, we would look at them and we would call them heroes because they rose up against an unjust government. But in the end, we are told that they died and all their followers either died or were scattered. Had a lot of zeal. Had a lot of zeal. Folks, you've got to have a lot of zeal to step up against the system. I mean, you've got you to have a lot of moxie in you to say, no, <laughs> that's not the way it happens. That's not the way it goes. I'll not believe that. I'll not, I'll not drink the Kool-Aid. That takes a lot. That takes a lot of zeal. But zeal without knowledge is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. And folks, this is where we are so, so, so lacking sometimes. You see, as our church ages and as our church, by God's grace, continues to grow, we have to be so careful that we do not substitute zeal for knowledge or knowledge for zeal. 
we have to be willing to say, I need a lot of zeal. I need great zeal and I need great knowledge. I don't want to repeat my mistakes. I, and folks, our church, let's be very honest, in 40 years we made some whoppers and mistakes, haven't we? I mean, some of you that have been here for a while, there's some, there have been some things that happen, and we just shake our heads and say, oh my, oh my, oh my. Let's not talk about it. Let's move on, you know, forgetting those things which are behind. We press towards the mark, amen? That's what we think, and we just say, that's happened. The past, the past is the past. But, but, but along with that, we need to learn from that. And if we don't have the knowledge, we're doomed to repeat those same things again. And as a church family, I do not want to see us go through a cycle where we allow ourselves to repeat the same mistake. What, what, what is that saying? You know, fool me once, good for you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay, well, well, Satan is going to try to fool us twice. He just brings the same problem in a different package, right? I mean, Satan's only got so many darts that he can throw. He just keeps repackaging those dumb things, and he keeps fooling us. And we say, oh, surely this won't lead to that problem. No, it will lead to that problem. Get a little knowledge. I mean, look back a few years and understand. That. I mean, that's why God has given us a past, amen? Learn from it. Folks, tonight, I beg you to understand. Have great zeal. Have a great passion for God. Pursue Him. But with your passion, you must add knowledge. You must add understanding. As we read in Proverbs chapter 3 at the beginning of the message, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. You see, if you don't have that, my friend, you are doomed to be very immature, and you are doomed to make very little impact for Christ. And I beg you, and folks, I know this, this is not a message, it, it takes a little thought sometimes, but folks, we've got to understand this philosophy. Because I don't want to have a bunch of people who have all zeal and no knowledge or all knowledge and no zeal. I want this church to be full of people who have a great zeal and a great passion for Christ. And along with that, a great understanding of who He is. And a great knowledge of why we're here and a great wisdom of what we're supposed to do. That's my heart's desire. And folks, we must understand that. We must perceive that. We must follow that. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Folks, I know I've, I've, gone, I've gone long tonight, but I, I believe what I'm saying is so necessary to, to, our, to our church, to our church family as a whole. Because if we do not take proper notice Folks, my fear is it will just turn into just another church and we'll pass off the scene. I don't want that to happen. I want this church to be mighty. I want people, as a lady told me this morning, she said, when I walked into your church, she said, I just got such a, a feeling of warmth and welcomeness. That's great. That's a lot of zeal. That's a lot of passion for Christ. A lot of passion for people. Let's have the knowledge to keep bringing them in and to keep training them and to keep teaching them in the ways of Christ.
and develop another generation for Christ. As the answers begin to play, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, I'd encourage you to come to the altar. Christian, tonight, where is knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? The Lord in Christ. Practically speaking, where is it? It's in the Word of God. Okay, the Bible says in James, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Folks, you ask God for the wisdom. But you go to the book that God wrote. Do, I'm not against Christian authors. And we got some wonderful books back in our bookstore. Some wonderful books on some wonderful topics. Wonderful biographies. But that is not the principal place you get the knowledge of God. You get some very practical help. Some very practical things. I have a wonderful library. Use it extensively. But if I read any, more, any book more than I read this book, shame on me. Because this is the book of truth. I mean, I, folks, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not really worried about what Tim LaHaye thinks about the end times. I'm worried about what God says about the end times. He can help me with some things. He's got some good ideas, some practical things possibly. But he's human and he's fallible. He is fallible. This is the book of all wisdom. And we need to get that and we need to place that in our lives. And folks, let me tell, the, tell you this. Secondly, you get underneath the preaching of the Word of God. God used the preaching to stir the hearts of His people time and time again. Study the Old Testament. Study the New Testament. You get to the Word of God. And you get to where the Word of God is being preached. Unashamedly, unbiasedly, and with boldness. And my friend, that's going to do something for your knowledge and your wisdom. If you shirk those duties, I promise you, you will not have all knowledge. You will not be great in that area. You'll have some. It'll be dangerous. 
All right, I've, I've sat down with some people and discussed some Christian authors. They're dangerous. Some of the topics they talk about are way off scriptural basis. Nice ideas. You know, the power of positive thinking. Nice thought, though, Mike. Really, it was. Just didn't have any scriptural basis whatsoever. Please understand, this is the book of knowledge. This is the book of truth. Get into it. Understand it. Follow it. Let it guide your life. And folks, have a zeal for it. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Brother Roger Timmerman, can you dismiss us?